Three Dogs North is an attempt to objectify the subjective with little violence as possible. The following has been torn from its origins in space and time and put entirely at your disposal. What is an inverted rocket? Well, um, I don't know about that. There's <laughs> the old scene from the original Top Gun when the plane was inverted. Oh. And now you have to say original Top Gun. Have you guys seen the non-original? Sure have. Was it good? I was very satisfied with it. Nice. Yeah, I've heard it was very good. Mm-hmm. Cool. I'm excited. So it's like... Here's the thing. Here's what they do is they know it's like everybody loves Tom Cruise and fighter jets are the coolest thing in the world. And that's what they give you for two hours. Like, that's it. It's <laughs> Tom amazing. Cruise and a fighter jet. Yep. Why did it take them 40 years to make this remake or whatever? That's the question. Man, oh, man. When was the original? It was like 90, mid 90s, right? 86. 80s. Literally 40 years. Yeah, well, 30, just 36. That's crazy. And Tom Cruise looks exactly the same. same. He does look exactly just the same. Just the same. How old is he? <laughs> what? We'll say, well, you, say what you will about Scientology. It works. <laughs> My gosh. The guy is ageless. <laughs> I would even say they have an ethos. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> At least it's an ethos. <laughs> Man, like four or five years ago, he did that new Mission Impossible movie as well. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah I remember are, him sprinting on a roof. And I'm like, that dude is like 50-something. Yeah, where he is full-on sprinting. Yeah. Like the knife hand sprint, like mm-hmm. foom, foom, getting it. The cruise sprint. The cruise sprint. <laughs> knife he, hands. That's very true. That does make you look like so much more intense when you run. He's it's the aerodynamics. And his head just stays like in the exact same spot. Mm-hmm. <laughs> that's pretty impressive. And he does his own stunts too. That's what I hear. Yeah. I think he broke his ribs in that last one. Wow. At, Holy at smokes. Like 50, however. Man, old you don't was. recover as quickly in your 50s. I've heard. Anyway. No, I think he's 60-something. He, I think he's 61. I looked it up the other night. We were talking about it. What a legend. All right, yeah. a big fan of that. Yeah, mm-hmm. and the movie, I mean, do you guys want to... I don't want to ruin the plot for you. It's, like, unrealistic in just the best way. Like, mm. they just... They're like, nope. Yeah, sure. Most of the time, when people get shot down or in trouble like they don't steal foreign countries fighter jets and and fly them and stuff like that but like hey here's our principles top tom cruise and fighter jets so let's have him in fighter jets more uh-huh. <laughs> i like that which is That's great good. it works like it works yeah. yeah they hijacked a fighter jet at one yeah. point yeah and like yeah who's to say who's to say uh you know just for old times like someone couldn't steal an old 1980s f-14 tomcat or which was originally flown in top gun and no shoot down multiple modern fighter jets who's to say mm-hmm. that can't happen okay. yes 
Yes. <laughs> yeah, right? And yes. you're, you're like, yep. Mm, I had that it. dream last night that I did that. <laughs> yes. Who was I talking to? Somebody was telling me that they thought the F-14 was too heavy. That it, Like, uh, what came after? I This is a vein of... Was that also a dream? Because I usually don't have those conversations. Like, man, the F-14... I think it's my dad. Of, he was, he was reading... Heavy. He was reading a book about this guy who changed a lot of uh, warfare tactics. And one of his big things was like maneuverability was the most important thing in, in dogfighting. Um, and he thought the F-14 was like, <clears throat> it was all super equipped, but it was like just not very maneuverable. Is that true? What came after, Mike? Because your dad flew the F-14? Yeah. Yeah, I mean, he would say it's the best combination of speed, power, and maneuverability. Mm-hmm. But there's just... So he thinks I, it's course, the best. He's a little biased, obviously, but... No, yeah, there's... The pump, dude. That's awesome. Yeah. So I know that the, the payoff is speed and then your, like, turn angles. Mm-hmm. So the, the larger the aircraft, um, yeah, the, the less it can make those absolutely sharp turns um and yeah i mean the f-14 was ginormous it was a beast and they have the the f-18 came afterwards they have the f-15 the f-16 but now they're up to like the f-35 they got the Mm f-22 um yeah but i don't know a lot of the we'd have to get fired to go on to talk about Mm -hmm. the details of the fuselages and whatnot Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. yeah <clears throat> so it's have y'all ever experienced a flyover a, a fighter oh, yeah. jet flyover mm-hmm. unbelievable yeah i go to the air show i've gone to the air show a few times since i've been living in the city that, with the, the Blue angels in in chicago that's super cool yeah, yeah. it was my first weekend at mundelein the air show was in chicago really it's pretty dope did, what, did, did i go with you is that when we took that bus tour yeah actually I don't know. I just remember at some point we had, what is it, is it Navy Pier that's downtown uh-huh. by the water? Yeah. And we were there eating eating lunch. So I don't know if like the whole group was there or if we had some like, you know, time to split off. But I think the, the Blue Angels were practicing. Wow. And I think it was two Blue Angels flew over us because I remember I could see, like I could read the guy's helmet. He was so low. What? <laughs> it was awesome. Yeah. I don't know if I could read it. That's probably an exaggeration. I could see his helmet is a better way to, to mm-hmm. put wow. it. Wow. Wow. That is really low. That's pretty amazing. Yeah. I, well, before I ran, it was the Peachtree Road Race, which is like a 10K down in Atlanta. They had a, a fighter jet that flew over. And I wasn't expecting it. And because of the speed of it, like it's, the plane essentially meets you at the same time that the noise does if they're low enough mm. he wasn't going the speed of sound he wasn't going mock speed or something like that he'd blow all of our heads off <laughs> <laughs> with the percussion of it but i remember being surprised by it and then i could feel it shaking my ribs mm. like the the sound of the engine and the force of it <clears throat> it vibrated my body wow. like oh my goodness <clears throat> and he was pretty low, but yeah, it just made me want to scream America. <laughs> <laughs> Did you? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I was going to say, what's keeping you from doing that? No, nobody could hear me. I couldn't mm-hmm. even hear myself. 
Wow. They're the jet engine. They're so, why are fighter jets so cool? That's a deep question for this morning. I feel like it's one of those self-evident questions, though. You just, you just know. Yeah. Once you've seen it. Well, here's, this is, I am willing to go here. I wasn't planning on it. Here's just a total read into trying to make a theological reflection based off of Top Gun 2. Like we can go there if you guys want to, to throw it out this morning. Okay. So one of my favorite parts of it, this isn't a big spoiler, but one of my favorite parts of it is that 35 years later, like Maverick and Iceman are like besties, like best Mm. friends, best buds. Just like at the end of the last one, all true. Like when they hug, bro hug it out and like they're buds now and they can be each other's wingmen. Mm. Came true. So, um, kind of the the whole narrative of Maverick is that he stayed Maverick. Like he's just a loner. He's sorry, I'm clearing my throat. I'll stop that. Better. (laughs) Um, but he stayed Maverick. So like, he's constantly like just making, you know, um, like guys that are uh, better ranked than him mad. Like he's going to do it his way. So I don't always like love that um, narrative, but the narrative of Iceman is very continuous with Iceman in the movie of like very, very disciplined, like never made any mistakes. So he is the, he's like the commander of the Pacific fleet. He's a whatever star admiral and all this, but they stayed really close. And so, Iceman has always, in a sense, anytime Maverick got in trouble, Iceman would just come in and say, like, no, he's going, he's going back, he's doing this. And in the movie, he assigns him to teach, like, this impossible mission that only a guy like Maverick could fly to the best Top Gun fighter pilots (laughs) to save the world, pretty much. Hmm. Um, And it was... Russia or what? What country is the bad guys? I, they, it's unnamed. It would be hard-pressed to find any more descriptive nature towards Russia, but that's just my opinion <laughs> on it. <laughs> um, being they don't honest, even say what country the bad guys are from? Nope, just... just the enemy. <laughs> wow. Oh, Their leader funny. is Shmadishmir Shmutin. <laughs> <laughs> just, just, we just made it up. I don't know. Uh, it could be anybody. That's funny. Okay, I'm wrapping this up. So, and then Maverick is like doubting himself because it's such a hard mission in that like he cares for the young pilots. He doesn't want to get him killed, all that stuff. And he goes and he meets with Iceman and Iceman tells him like, hey, I haven't been getting you out of trouble all these years, like just because we're friends, but because I think the Navy needs Maverick. And I think these pilots need Maverick here. Mm. So I was like, that is interesting. If you took, if you like broaden that whole principle of like Maverick and Iceman actually being an important combo for an organization of like someone that is like kind of hyper-disciplined, very few mistakes, like very, very ordered life, but also very good at what they do, where someone like a Maverick who is clearly like a pretty extreme risk taker, much more of um, like less of a team player, all this, all this stuff. But the I think the argument that is provoked there is that like, hey, the two of them 
together have actually like done a really important service to this organization and they they make each other better there Mm -hmm. so that's my little reflection it's not that deep but we went there reminds me of um i think jordan peterson talks about this as opposed to conservatives and liberals uh he calls them guardians and prophets or something like that have you Mm. seen about that mike Mm -mm. he talks about there's like two kind of personality tendencies when it comes to structure versus change um and whether or not you're because conservative and liberal has become so synonymous with certain political platforms or political yeah. parties and um lead certain leaders and stuff uh that it's hard to you know whatever camp you're in it's hard to see any good in the other um and vice versa but uh i think you're just changing that language is helpful to seeing like what if you're if you're totally fixated or you're you're like kind of the conservative i heard roger scruton say once their conservative position is that it's harder to build things than destroy them which i tend to uh find just a priori convincing you know it's like it's hard to build things it's hard to build a culture um and a consensus a church a building anything um to start from nothing to get to something uh, takes a lot of intention and vision and cooperation and hard work. Whereas criticizing it from the outside and saying, oh, this is all bad. Let's just get rid of it. We'd be better if it didn't exist. Um, that sort of revolution is not very hard. Um, and it's pretty easy to convince people of that they're better than it um, and such. So. Uh, that's the more conservative position, but it's more of like the guardian position. Like it's hard to, it's hard to build things. So let's, you know, if we have something that works, even if it's not perfect, like let's try to work with it. Whereas the, the profit position is more the maverick, which is uh, rules be damned. Like we just need to get this thing done. There are Schmadamir Sputins out there and we need to steal F-14 and just fight them. Um, and there's Iceman who's the guardian saying like, okay, but if everybody stole F-14s, then Schmutten would definitely get his way. Um, I don't know if that makes sense. Yeah, I think there, he, Peterson will go through the big five personality traits. And I know two of them. And I think maybe these are the two that are at play is uh, orderliness and creativity. And mm. I think the uh, obviously the Iceman guy the orderliness provides a type of stability that allows for like that long term what we have exists it took a long time to actually build this and a lot of work and so we're going to work within the parameters of this but then the creative types push the limits of that stuff and so i don't know it's kind of cool <clears throat> to hear about the movie because iceman is not just like a symbol for the orderliness he actually is in charge of keeping order within the navy and maverick isn't just a symbol for the creativity he's like actually being taught or being instructed to teach guys about the limit case mission Mm -hmm. like try to go to try to push your skills and the rules as far as you possibly can to try and get the most out of your equipment out of your mission and whatever, all that different stuff, but, but you need 60 year old body. 
Yeah. I think they retired the F-14. It was sometime in 2000, but like, I don't know. I don't even know if those, well, I'm sure they would still work, but um, that's so perfect. But it does make me think of um, in a family, like that was one thing that I don't think I realized when I was growing up that that was provided for me that I guess, you know, being here with the soldiers, like there's a lot of folks that come from very, very different backgrounds and many of them are creative type that they like to push the limits. That's why they join the army and that's why they jump out of airplanes and all that different stuff. Um, but what the army provides is for like a stability to them. And that's what I had in my family was that there was a stability. There's an order that was present there, mm-hmm. which allowed me as a kid to have the freedom to play in this like cre- in this creative way because I didn't have to worry about the order of stuff because that was just automatically provided for me. So I kind of took that for granted, but it allowed for the development of the imagination of, um, yeah, I guess that like creativity piece that was present there. Um, I remember I went to El Salvador to the, uh, the orphanage in El Salvador where we seminarians would go over once in a while to, to learn Spanish. And, um, you go down this dirt road, I mean, it's, it's pretty shocking culture shock. Uh, I'd never been to a country like that. That was so poor. Um, and driving out of the airport, the main city out into the countryside where this thing is like, we have to go buy this garbage dump, um, gigantic garbage dump and this beautiful mountainous landscape. And then there's just like human waste garbage, um, as high as one of these mountains. And there's, tons of people living there, like living off of the garbage. And, um, and then you drive down this, uh, dirt road off of the main mountain highway past all these kind of ramshackle huts with outhouses and, um, corrugated roofs. And there was a guy actually, we, I, we drove in at night and this guy in a van is driving me out there and I see a body face down in the ditch, literally. Mm-hmm. Um, and he goes, Oh, borracho. Like, Oh, that's a drunk. Um, I had never seen a drunk literally face down in a ditch before. And just the, just the poverty and the kind of indignity of everything was very striking. And then we pull up to this, this huge walled painted, um, place on this dirt road that just looks beautiful and nicely kept and landscaped. And there's a guard at the, at the front, they called them the vigilante with a, with a short shotgun and a, like kind of a police uniform standing wow. there who let us in. And then you go in and there's this paved road and these like nice buildings. I mean, nothing was first class. It was still, um, you know, fit with the, with the scenery and everything it was concrete buildings and, and stuff like that. But, uh, anyway, nicely put together, nicely kept clean landscaped and, um, barbed wire fences all around it, you know, it was, a number of acres. I mean, I would guess it was probably 500 acres or something. It's got fields and soccer and it grew their own cucumbers and corn and all this stuff. And, um, it was like this safe haven in the middle of this chaos. And I remember thinking the, the vigilante was like a little weird at first. It kind of, um, struck me wrong. You know, it kind of, it felt like a prison, like he was keeping the kids in. And what I, 
somebody told me later is that the, that's to make sure the kids know that nobody can get in here that's going to hurt them, you know, mm. Um, mm. that Father Wasson, who founded NPH, his thing was like, kids cannot learn, they can't grow, they can't mature unless they know they're safe. Mm. So security is like the fundamental need before any of the other ones, um, you know, before you can grow as a, as a person and your relationships and be a brother or a sister to other people, you like, you're just this alone person. That's always scared. If you're, if you don't have that fence, that safety, um, that like, I'm not going to get taken. Neither are these people, my brothers and sisters, nobody's getting taken away from here or hurt. Um, so yeah, uh, I think that that's, that's also my <laughs> tendency towards guardianism is that 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 uncertainty or that chaos, it's so easy to let mm. that seep in um, and it makes it hard to be free. Like I think creativity, um, obviously you can get overstructured and overscrupulous and uh, nothing is allowed to change. But um, within the framework of like, here is just the givens, you know, we don't change this. This is always the same. Like that security allows you to be more free, I think, and creative. Because <clears throat> I think we all, pe people probably naturally tend towards one or the other. Um, and there's a, like a time for both um, and a time for one or the other. But I guess what I'm thinking about, and maybe I'll just ask it, uh, put it in question form. Have y'all felt any shift from like a natural tendency from one or the other towards maybe at, like how the, how the other personality type or the other tendency would feel? Um, and I ask that because <clears throat> like, I do feel an invitation to be more of a, a stabilizer instead of a player mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. as, as a father. Um, That's interesting. I can say, what, what are the two from Peterson guardian and profit? Is that mm -hmm. right? So guardian, Iceman, profit, maverick. Um, I, I, yeah, I, I think you guys can affirm this or challenge it, but I think my personality would, would tend like pretty drastically towards guardian like in that, um, and it, it is interesting because I, like, I feel the invitation sometimes, um, yeah, to, to be a little bit less structured or like take more risks. And I kind of need to be pushed that way versus the other. Um, but even this discussion, like there is something encouraging of, of that whole notion of, um, like even yeah, there's something even to like that, the structure around that orphanage of like, hey, if we can provide like safety and security, that's actually like a foundation then to build on. Um, so there's something encouraging in me, even hearing stories like like this of um, like you can, I don't know, there's there's just like freedom in in both. That's maybe what I'm that that's vague of what I'm trying to get at, but just the notion back to the top gun, just cause I can't think of another example. Um, but like there was a freedom like, or a maturing in the Iceman character 
to realize like, hey, no, under my like direction, like this is my decision here. Like I'm putting a maverick with these guys because it's the best chance of getting it done and bringing them home. And so like I can actually provide that structure. And he does like even in the movie, he comes in and he just like overrules like other admirals and says like, nope, this is happening. Um, so there's there's like an encouragement of it in an ordered way. Um, anyway, that's vague to your question, but you just said that. And I don't know. That's what I came up with. Mm hmm. I might say the other way around, but in a different con like sense, I think that, yeah, as I've grown up, I've become even more um, cognizant of my responsibility to to build structure or to build reliability and dependability in which other people can play. Like mm -hmm. as, as the chaplain here, you got to make sure the things work and things are safe so that the the people like students, the missionaries, the staff can like do their jobs and do them well in a creative way. But I also feel um, I've been more free to be creative and do creative things and and take risks and push things a little bit um, because I feel more confident in that structure. So I guess I see how both have both play off each other. Like I now that I know how things mm -hmm. work and mm -hmm. how to yeah. how to manage the archdiocese and keep things stable. Um, relative to what we're doing here, instead of like, just always worrying, like, am I doing it right? I'm, you know, what's the structure here? I, f I feel more free to play with it a little bit. Um, mm -hmm. And I think I also feel, and this is, this is maybe a separate category, but um, whereas I think in the past, I might have fallen more for the idea that all we really need is more structure and everything would be great in the church. Uh, the problem is this doctrinal or liturgical or whatever chaos and the old way was better and the new way is bad. So if we just go back to the old way um, or if the, if the guardians had just done a better job of guarding the old way um, we'd be in a better spot. And I, I think um, I'm seeing more and more the, the limits of that ideology to really respond to reality and um becomes it becomes its own sort of like prophecy you know because it becomes more and more edgy and more and more outside of the hmm. mainstream um and so you're you're kind of like pushing the vanguard and, and like there is a certain structure to the church that, that is paramount to before like you know la whatever language you're saying at mass or or whatever clothes we wear or whatever um the fundamental assumptions, the structure that's actually essential is this or that, you know, like uh, the church hierarchy or the nature of the nature of the church as it was founded by Jesus to be a guarantor of doctrinal integrity, etc. Liturgical practice. Um, so I, I guess I see more the excesses of the guardian mentality than I did maybe 15 years ago. Um, that makes me a little bit more uh, skeptical of it. Yeah. Well, I, how would you answer it? I, I mean, I've definitely felt this is, I did not expect, like, this is actually making me think a lot. Um, I, I feel 
I know that I'm very playful by nature and that uh, I don't, I don't naturally provide structure for myself. And so that orderliness is something that, that I need. And that's always been, I mean, maybe that's why I've been around all these really ordered institutions because they've given me a, a, a context that is clearly defined rules and clearly defined organization and structure. And then once you learn that, you can just like, whoa, let's just go in there, you know? <laughs> I don't have to worry about creating that. But I think as a priest, you have to you don't have to recreate the wheel or anything, but you have to be a part of the that edifice. Yeah. You you have to quit playing you have to quit only playing in it and actually start to be a part of it and yeah. and be a part of the the stronghold in the in a flexible Christ-like way, you know, as a part of his body. And I, and I think that's the call for like, that's what parents provide for their kids, which is why when you see a parent that is acting like a kid, you're like, and, and we use the phrase, they haven't grown up. It means like you're playing and your play is going to create to instability, which is going to affect your kids. Um, because they're not going to have the stability to actually play like, like kids are supposed to. Mm -hmm. And I guess I feel that. Yeah. Well, and I didn't mean to interrupt, but even, I think I have an example that may illustrate that as a priest in one particular way, but I thought of, this was like six months ago. It was one of, I want to, I want to leave it very vague, uh, just to honor all the people involved and everything. But one of I mean, if not the hardest, certainly one of the two or three hardest funerals that I've had as a priest. And um, it was it was awful. Like I was honored to be with the family. It was just such a hard circumstance. And it was a really tough like week in it. And um, when I met with one particular member of the family, like it just didn't go well, like and honestly, and this is no judgment on them. Like I wasn't upset, but they were just like so mean, like in the meeting because they wanted like all of this, in a sense, kind of like random stuff at the funeral. Like they just kind of come like come up with ideas when they came in. And, you know, I was just like, no, I'm sorry. Like, you know, the funeral, like we, we need, need to have kind of like this layout in it with like a reading and everything like that. And Anyway, just kind of like sat with them and um, I, I remember like, oh, it's miserable after because I felt so bad. And then, but then like, we just kind of like stayed with them like throughout the next week and like the next couple weeks and the same family member came in like a month later and they were just like a different person mm-hmm. totally and were like thanking me up and down and and it was very clear like, I don't think they even had a recollection like of that particular meeting. And um, I just remember even at the time, like that was, um, I I don't really have words on it past that yet, but there was something of like, no, like I, I'm going to like provide a structure here and like, Hey, there's some things that we just like, we're not going to do at a funeral. Again, I'm not putting any details in there just to like honor the person, but it was like a clear, no, we can't do that, you know, in any circumstance in a church type thing. And, um, but it was like, 
actually like kind of sitting there and and being a part of that structure um was kind of miserable honestly at least in in the moment and then but then like even just a month later and not to say like i mean they got a lot of you know it's just continuing to walk with them but just the fact that you could see like in them like gratitude i was like oh oh my gosh um and then even in me like allowing them and like talking through like how, how they could get together and like like be together. It's like, I wasn't providing them anything. It was just like suggestions and everything, but yeah. it's very powerful. I don't know. That was a illustration that came to mind. If that makes sense. Hey, dude, I got to get going that's guys. Awesome. Yeah. Yeah. That, that's awesome. Cool. dude. Thanks for sharing that. Yep. All right. We'll see you next time guys. Bye. Follow three dogs North on Instagram. Three Dogs North are Juice, Seabisk, and Michael Metz. Conversations have been edited to sound smarter. Audio and transcripts of this episode are exclusive property of Mundelein Seminary and may not be rebroadcast without the express written consent of Major League Baseball. Good girl.